we are talking about coming down for Christmas. And I think everybody has a sense of, okay, I understand that with Jesus. Jesus came down from heaven's throne. I get that with him. But what about us coming down for Christmas? What would that mean? What's that up to? What's that about? And that comes from the hymn in Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to start reading in verse 5. So this is where we get the idea or the instruction that we too are to come down. And here verse 5, as it says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So here we have the idea of coming down for Christmas for all of us. We are to have the same mindset as Jesus, Christ Jesus had when he came down. And so the Apostle Paul's talking to the church. He's talking to us about our relationships with one another. And he says to us, have this same attitude in you that was in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to explain what that is. Now, when Jesus made his debut on this planet, he came as a babe in a manger. The scripture says of Mary, she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And again in verse 12, the angel says, this shall be a sign to you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. So the night of his debut on earth, Christ Jesus, who left heaven's glory and emptied himself, was wrapped in these swaddling clothes that were so mysterious to me as a boy. Maybe they were to you. And the King James has said swaddling clothes. And I'd look at the word and say, it says clothes, not cloths. It had the word clothes. And so these are the clothes that infants wore in that time. And Ezekiel has a little description there actually in the Greek, I think where this word is actually used for the only other time. This swaddling word in the Bible is in this book of Ezekiel where he describes how a newborn is washed and then powdered salt is rubbed on the baby and then the baby is wrapped in these strips of cloth. And someone suggested that probably there's a four-corner blanket like you usually find with an infant and the infant's placed in that blanket and swaddled with that blanket and then strips of cloth are wrapped around the blanket and the infant like ribbons, and they're tied, and so the infant is pretty much immobilized. And this swaddling is how they did it in the first century, and particularly in the Eastern world. 
In fact, for centuries, this was typical of how babies, and especially newborns, were clothed and were swaddled. And still today you find this around the world, and you've seen it in pictures, these swaddling clothes. Mary takes care of her baby with these swaddling clothes. Jesus comes from heaven to earth to appear in swaddling clothes. Where did she get these strips of cloth? Well, like all expectant mothers, she's preparing for her child to come. And probably she got those along the way, even before they made the trip from Nazareth. I'm thinking that maybe Elizabeth, who was an older mom, all right, uh, that maybe Elizabeth had the idea, and maybe she gave her the strips of cloth that she herself used with John the Baptist. I don't know. Could have been that way. Somebody suggested maybe it came from Elizabeth and Zachariah's house. Nonetheless, this is how the baby was cared for in that first night when he breathed air here on earth. Now, the scripture also says there was no room for them in the inn, and that part of the story breaks our hearts. It's sad for us to think about Mary, this young mom in labor, coming to maybe multiple places and saying, is there any way you could give us a room and being turned away? And the inn was the natural place to find a room, but people from all over Israel now are showing up at Bethlehem because their roots are in Bethlehem. They are of the house and lineage of David. And so they're showing up here to be taxed and counted. And this small hamlet has only a few dwellings anyway. And those that can serve for an inn, maybe just one or two. And they are completely full. And I mean by that, not just people in the rooms and people in the hallways, people here and there. They are packed. And so maybe it was the kindness of an innkeeper who remembered that he had a stable and that it would be relatively warm and, and at least protected from the elements to a degree and so offered that to this young couple who were having a baby. I read one commentator who said this was just such an indictment on the people in Bethlehem that there was no place found for this mom who was in labor. And I wonder, maybe... Maybe they were hard-hearted. John says that Jesus came to his own and his own did not receive him. And perhaps he built that statement starting with Bethlehem where there was no room in the inn. But I want to remind you of something, okay? Jesus emptied himself. All right? Christ Jesus emptied himself. He humbled himself. I might be able to humiliate you, but I cannot really humble you. You can be humiliated and still be defiant. In order to truly be humble, you must humble yourself. And the scripture says in verse 6 that Christ Jesus emptied himself. And in verse 7 that he humbled himself. He did it himself. He chose to do this. He knew what he was signing up for. Now, a few months after this humiliation in Bethlehem, Herod the king will try to kill Jesus, 
and the slaughter of the infants will occur in Bethlehem. The family will have fled and Jesus will survive as a refugee in Egypt for a number of years. We do not know how many. And when they are prompted to return, they will not go back to Bethlehem because once again they are afraid of repercussions from a relative of King Herod and so they settle in Nazareth. And with this stormy and turbulent childhood, the Son of God begins his years on the planet until he matures into adulthood and starts his ministry, a ministry of surprise and delight and amazement to the people who see him and hear him and know him. It is astonishing the things this carpenter says nobody ever spoke like him. But even though the common people heard him gladly. The authorities were dead set against him from the very first. They wanted him down. They wanted him out. And so the prophet says of our Lord who volunteered to come, who emptied himself and humbled himself, that in this earth he was despised and rejected of men. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And the prophet says, we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But the prophet says he was bruised for our transgressions. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. So wounded, grief-stricken, full of sorrow, Jesus lived his life upon this planet. Volunteering to come. From swaddling clothes when he first breathed air to wrapped in linen when his breath was gone. And when John and Peter ran to the tomb where the ladies had wrapped him a final time, they found the linen like an empty cocoon laying on the shelf of stone where his body had been. And the napkin that was on his face folded up and placed in a spot by itself. From his birth to his death, he was wrapped in these claws, these garments, the linen and the swaddling clothes. And when he rose again, he left them behind. The swaddling clothes are a symbol for me of who he was for when he wanted to impress on his disciples his role his identity his status in this world he took up again the cloth wrapped it around himself and washed their feet he chose the servant 
status, you see. He took upon himself the very nature of a servant. That's what the scripture says. Now, Isaiah the prophet said that a servant would come. And he said it over and over again. And these servant songs are in his prophetic book about the one who would come and deliver Israel and bear the burden of sin. And I've just quoted some of those psalms to you from Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 55. And when Jesus announced that his ministry, he took Isaiah 61 as his text. It is too one of those servant songs from the suffering servant of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, the freedom from prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That's what Jesus used as he announced his ministry. He understood himself as a servant. And when his disciples were confused about his role in the world, he said to them, look, the Gentiles lord it over one another. It's not going to be that way among you. Whoever wants to be first needs to be last. He who is chief is the one who is servant of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. John or Mark 10.46 is really the middle of the gospel of Mark. It is the heart of Mark. It is the theme of Mark that Jesus is the servant of God. He chose this role. He took it upon himself to be the servant. And so when Peter preaches in the day of Pentecost and in Acts chapter 4, he talks about Jesus, the holy servant of God. He calls him a servant before the magnificent titles that we give him ever came his way. Jesus was God's servant who took voluntarily the form of a servant. Now, when you read the form of a servant in the King James Bible, you might be thinking, well, he sort of put on the servant mask. Or he put on the servant costume. Not that he was really a servant. He wasn't really a servant. He just appeared to be a servant. It was just a form. But I point out to you that in verse 6, he was in the form of God. And in the NIV it says, he was by very nature God. Morphe is the word there. And it is the same word that is used in verse 7 when he took the form of a servant. And the NIV is right to translate them equally. He was by very nature, in very nature God, and he took the very nature of a servant. Jesus was not pretending to be a servant. He was not acting a part. He literally took on the very nature of a servant. Now, the best servants are those who are by nature servants who love to serve and desire to serve and have it in their heart to do so. You know that a servant can do the minimum or they can do the most. And Jesus took on the form of a servant. He chose this as his status in the world. I want to be known as a servant. I have come 
to serve you. That is how he came into this world. By very nature, a servant. That's hard to imagine, isn't it? Isn't it hard to imagine? Anytime you read the commentaries, they want to take you to the royalty of Christ and the majesty of Christ. And yes, he is majestic. He is royal. He is king of kings and lord of lords. And that too is in our hymn from Philippians chapter 2. But in his sojourn on this planet, as a man among men, he was one who serves. He proves this most convincingly in the culmination of his teaching in the, the disciples. They go to the upper room. He has only a few hours left with them. He has been their teacher, their friend, and their leader. And now there is this moment that he has with them that he has looked forward to passionately. He wants to eat this meal with them, he said, before he suffers. And here in this meal, Jesus takes the cloth, binds it around his waist, and washes their feet. Not accidental, not incidental, not something to set aside. No, as soon as he is done, he sits back and says, do you know what I've done for you? I have set you an example so that what I have done for you, you also will do for one another. In other words, essentially, following Jesus culminates in this picture of him washing his disciples' feet and calling us to this kind of life. Come down for Christmas, then, is about Jesus descending all the way from heaven, not taking advantage of all of his prerogatives, but instead taking the very form of a servant, appearing among us as one who serves. This is his choice. And now calling us to do the same. When I reflect upon what the Lord has done for us and then what he calls us to do, I have a suggestion for your Christmas season. Hit the floor. Find some floor exercises to do this Christmas. Take the very nature of a servant as you see that sister, that brother, those parents, those cousins, those friends who come as you gather for the Christmas celebration. Hit the floor. Do the floor exercises like Jesus did. He knelt down before Peter and James and John, and he washed their feet. You say, preacher, you can't mean that literally, right? <laughs> I mean, why would we do that? We can pay the help to do that, right? I mean, we can. We don't, we don't need to do that. Other people can do that. 
No, no. Jesus intends that you as his follower bear this servant status in your world. That it will be so startling to the people who think of rank in the way that everybody else thinks of it that they will be amazed at who you are among them. At how you act and what you do. If you were to hit the floor this Christmas and truly be the magnificent servant, the greatest servant of all, every moment of every day, remembering this, that I am here to serve. I am here as one who serves. What a difference it might make in the relationships that are tense, in the problems sometimes that surface in a family. Find somebody who truly serves. You say, I don't know if it would make any difference. I think it would. You heard the story about the group that was showing Mother Teresa the children's home. They lost track of her. You know where they found her? Washing the commodes. You say, no, not Mother Teresa, the most famous nun in the world. Yeah, she hit the floor. Do you know one of our inward ladies did that? I can't tell the story exactly, Christy, but Christy related it to me. A prim and proper young woman from Alabama or Mississippi who became part of inward and when they got to the club that night, they didn't have access to those clean bathrooms downstairs. They had to go upstairs to where the dancers dressed. This young lady named Melissa took the soap and the bottle and the rags and she cleaned up the stinkiest bathroom she'd ever been in. Christy said it it changed the whole night, the whole demeanor, the whole group. There's something about being willing to hit the floor that truly rocks the world. You're going to have an opportunity to go to the floor this Christmas with a mop or a rag or a towel. You're going to be able to be the one who gets to serve and does it with joy, not a bit of hesitation, claiming it as your own, this task that is the lowest of all the tasks available. And when you take it, God will do something in the mix of that moment that is transformational. You might think, well, Jesus was through when he hit the floor. He sat back up and said, okay, this is what I want you to do. But no, that night Jesus is not through hitting the floor. He leaves that upper room and goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and throws himself upon the stone and prays, not my will, but thine be done. And ultimately, after his arrest... And his trip down the Via Della Rosa. Jesus stretches out upon the timber 
and surrenders his hands to the nails. And he insists, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down. This is why the cross is the symbol of our faith. Because Jesus laid his life down freely. He who said, yes, I'll go, and he emptied himself, and he humbled himself, and he appeared in swaddling clothes with his first breath, culminated his work of service as he laid down to take the nails. I was looking at the Christmas tree last night and realized that Brady and Graham had hung upon the Christmas tree a seven-inch nail that says forgiven on it. I'd forgotten about the nail. I didn't know it was in the box. I was looking at all the bright lights and the pretty globes and going through all those memories of Christmas, and I come upon the nail hanging in the tree. Is this a symbol of Christmas? He who freely gave his life for us began at Bethlehem and culminated at the cross. Christmas is all about the nail. It's all about Christ our Lord who emptied himself to the point of death on a cross. The message of Christmas is that God loves you this much and God has sent a Savior to rescue you from your sin. You cannot save yourself. No amount of good works or good deeds will get you right with God and you already know that. And even when you resolve that you're going to be good, you know how you fall and you fail and the frustration of trying to maintain some kind of moral standard in your own life and you realize you're broken all the way down, deep down inside, you're broken all the way. And when you face it, you know you cannot save yourself. There's no way you can make yourself acceptable to a holy God. And Christmas is the story. It's the record of how God who knew there was no way you or any other human being could on your own make themselves right with him. Loved you so much that he sent his own son to do what you could not do yourself. To make it right by being himself the sacrifice for sin. Paying the debt that we have accumulated toward a holy God and so making it possible for us to be forgiven and become part of the family of God. Not everybody has to be the innkeeper who sends Jesus somewhere else. He came to his own and his own did not receive him even in his hometown, John says. However, as many as receive him, to them he gives the power to become the sons of God, even to those who believe in his name. So Christmas is all about you believing in the name 
of the one God sent to rescue you. That's what Christmas worship is all about. You've got to receive this service of Christ to you. And you receive it by opening your heart to him and saying, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I want you in my life. Please forgive me for my sin. I receive you as Savior and Lord. It is the transformational moment. It's the moment when Christmas comes to you, when instead of flailing alone in your own effort to be good, you surrender your life to the God who has made the way for you. Let's bow together. You could pray right where you are. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me for my sin. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me and rose again from the dead. And I receive him as my Savior and Lord. Would you make that prayer right now? Would you, with sincerity of heart, open your heart to the Christ of Christmas? Thank you, God, that you hear and answer prayer, especially this prayer of repentance and receiving Christ. God, we pray you'll do your work in us now. In Jesus' name, amen.